It really is. This is. I, I'm still trying to let it sink in. She was looking kind of dumb with the finger and But it's a crazy feeling, and I'm just so thankful for the team. There's been a lot of happy tears today, and all the years start coming and they don't stop coming. Fed to the rules and I hit the ground running. Did it make sense not to live for? I was really emotional getting to see my coach in Waxtec after the race, and they were cheering like crazy out here. It was so special. It gave me goosebumps to know that all the techs were running out of the truck and getting on course today, and they really pulled out all the stops to give us amazing skis and Wax. Hey, hey now, you're a rock star. Get your show on, get paid and all that glitters is gold. Only shooting stars. You said in the past interviews that you've been chasing after a perfect day. Was this the one? <laughs> it might have been. I think so. And up now, wait till you get older, but the media man back to differ. Judging by the hole in the satellite picture, the ice was. It was just uh, all the pieces came together. You know, your body and your brain and your pacing and your technique and the skis and the weather. Everything came together uh, to be great uh, conditions for me today and, and that was very special all right everyone welcome to the cedar scare podcast we're going here a little bit of a pop filter free show so the pop pop you can tell we're already the quality is low. It's low. Pop filter free day and all the glitters is gold for Jesse Diggins. That's why I had to play the intro. Great job, Ajay, on the production here. Um, sorry we're a couple days late here. I did take notes each day watching the world championships. And um obviously wished I could chat, comment on them, but just didn't have time. It's been busy. So apologize. We're gonna wrap in though discussing yeah you notice the pop filter is back on here and i was just like i can't can't take that um we got the pop filter back so it's not a pop filter free show but we're gonna talk individual starts we're gonna talk both relays we got plenty to get to plenty to chat about uh and i did listen to the faster skier podcast you know to get some takes from nat and devin and others that have been on the show and and maybe you're like me where you go to them to get well, we won't even go there. Uh, but we we have our own original takes, right? That's why you come to the Cedar Skier podcast. You want to, you know, hop into Grip Wax Nation. Let's go. Grab the pitchforks, and we're coming after you. <laughs> no, I don't even know what I'm talking about right now. Uh, <clears throat> so, exciting races, right? Let's kick it off right away chatting about the individual start race. Jesse Diggins takes the gold medal. The second this was done, I kind of knew I wasn't going to be able to do a show that day. And I tweeted to an audience of, how many people actually have looked at the tweet? Like six now? I kind of like the metrics on Twitter. You know, they have the views. You, so you don't even have to get a like. Like, it shows you how many people have viewed your tweet, which is kind of interesting. It'd be interesting if you were really popular, like when you're getting thousands of views and not as many likes. You know, you can kind of tell what people are willing to uh, appreciate. But for me, it's just, you know, it's nice because I see more numbers and I have like six followers on Twitter. But anyway, I tweeted a very profound thought. I think I said something along the lines of, this is Jesse Diggins' most impressive performance. 
<clears throat> and I was thinking it the entire the entire time it was happening, actually. And had I been on the call, I think I definitely would have been realizing the history as it's as it's happening because I know as I was watching. Now maybe it's easier as you're watching these things. I've kind of thought that too. Like, um, it might be a little bit easier as you're watching an event as opposed to calling it to like have these thoughts of, well, I, I would be saying this if I was broadcasting. Well, maybe you wouldn't be because you'd have ten other things you're you're actually trying to process and manage mentally. But I at least felt like I would have been like, this is all coming together for Jesse Diggins right now. Skipping this gathlon, um, training blocks, the whole nine yards. This is her best event on the biggest stage. And here she is just having the race of her life and just nailing it through and through. Um, I definitely was realizing that. I think even like 2.2K in, you know, you see the seeds planted. But by 5K, you're like, wow, this is happening right now. A truly dominant performance. I'm looking right now at the result details. She had the fastest sector time. Um at the first sector, the third fastest in the second one, the second fastest in the next one, the fastest on the final two. I mean, it, it wasn't just a win. It was a dominant win over Frida Carlson. Just just amazing. I mean, even if you look at, um, so 7.7K, she had a five-second lead, and she ended up winning by 14 seconds. So in the final 2.3K, she puts on, goes from five to four, yeah, nine seconds in that final 3K. That's pretty substantial. I mean, it was just, and, and over Frida Carlson too. So an amazing performance. The reason I say this is the most important Jesse Diggins performance. Um, and we could go through an order. I think of these, maybe, maybe important is the wrong word, but the most, because if you, if, if you had to go most important or significant, you would almost always have to tie back to this 2018 gold medal because of what it's done for the country for cross country skiing, the enthusiasm. Okay, fine. We're, we're never going to beat that, I guess. Um, so the most, maybe the best way of saying this, the most legit performance, the most legitimizing performance for Jesse Diggins in her career was uh, this one, the 10 K, the world championship. And I would say the second most legitimizing one to me anyway, was when she beat Therese Johag in this event. Gosh, it was in one of the early world cups. Can we look that up? When did Jesse Diggins beat Therese Johag? Okay. We're doing this live. Jesse Diggins beats i'm just googling it let's see if this comes up here uh she edged january 29th 2021 norway is back jesse dickens still wins oh this was the one after the tour dc i think she'd beaten jess or teresio a couple times but she beat her in falun by 2.1 seconds anyway th this has maybe happened more than once but anytime that anyone beats teresio i get an individual start to me that's the most legitimate performance individual starts the most pure race in cross-country skiing in terms of just speed and Tresiog is the most dominant wire-to-wire -wire skier the best wire-to-wire -wire skier we've ever seen probably male or female but certainly you know if um if there's any haters on Jess Diggins you know like how can you complain after she wins an individual start over Tresiog the same thing I think about this race too it's like and we've we've probably we've been part of the the probably the negative crowd too at times where we're nitpicking over technique things or whatever when it comes to any American. So, yeah, when I was watching this race, I was like, hey, I got nothing to say here other than words of praise in terms of if you're someone out there who's been critical of Diggins from a ski standpoint, there's really nothing you can say. You know, this is the performance, the, the um, you know, nail in the coffin to her legacy as being the greatest all, of all time until someone else comes along. Because really up until this point, you look at her medals – like, no individual world championship gold medal, obviously. No Olympic individual gold medal. Yes, she had that silver, which was a really heroic performance. I thought that was 
probably for her, the silver medal at the Olympics, she probably would say is her breakthrough performance because she realized, hey, I don't have to have everything go perfect, perfect for me, and I can still come out here and compete, lay it all on the line, and have a successful day, which is what she did that day. You know, it was kind of like the Jordan flu game, but for someone as type A, neurotic as a cross-country skier, and, and how Diggins is just fully focused and checking the boxes in every element, mental, physical, um, you know, psychological, going into a race— all those things were unchecked going into that Beijing skate race. That's her words. You know, if you go back and listen to things she said afterwards, it was like she felt like she was a mess. She had the food poisoning thing. And it was just, I can't believe this is happening at the Olympics. And then she did amazing. So that to her is probably her breakthrough performance for the entire country. They probably go back to the Keegan Randall gold medal. Here comes Diggins. Why not? Um, for me, though, this is the most legitimizing performance that Jesse Diggins has ever had, and that's the period of the statement right there. What can you say? It's a beautiful race. One thing I will say about those comments that we heard in the intro, I thought it was cool how Diggins was very quick to deflect off of her and go right to praising the wax techs. You know, it's um, it's not we, – we, we've been critical. People have been critical. Maybe not us. Have we been critical? And I'll go back and listen. But when she was um, being critical about skis or open and transparent about the skis during the tour to ski or other places, I think it was, yeah, the tour to ski. Oh, it's no secret. You know, our skis haven't been great. Um, some people were like, oh, you can't say that about your wax tax. They, they always jump on them for that. Now, in the greatest moment of this person's career, when honestly, she has kind of every right to go, see, this is what I can do when everything comes together. <laughs> um, but she goes, hey, this, the wax tax made it happen. I wonder partially, well, first of all, credit to Diggins, great humility. I know I'm someone who's probably too stuck up, set on himself to go, you know, I, w- I would have been, it would have been hard for me to do that. I probably would have been more of the waxing poetic, yeah, man, you just don't even know all the, the training, you know, that I did, and this is all me. Um, or I would have tried to preach a sermon from, you know, Romans 9 or something. But I, g- I give, so I did give Diggins a lot of credit, but I also think this, for those of you out there who are kind of like newer to cross-country skiing, especially high-level skis, it seems like the more I learn and the, the higher up people that I get to come across and chat with, the more that it it seems I'm convinced that ski speed is just like such a huge element to performance that it's kind of, it just becomes, it's frustrating. You know, like this is, this makes it feel un like the access to success in this sport is open to just a select few and i know i'll probably get some emails from people going look at the young ages like people can rise to the ranks ski speed doesn't matter all that much there is an element of truth to that for sure like if you've got a 12 year old or a 10 year old this isn't like press the panic button now we need to make sure they have 100 skis with 100 different grinds so they can go to their you know, U12 invite. That's not, that's not what I'm trying to say. But I think this element of performance that is, can be tied back to skis, it, it, it definitely grows exponentially the higher up you get, like, you know, at a world-class level, who knows how much it costs to get a a pair of performing skis like Clabo has day in and day out. You know, it kind of makes me, it it freaks me out a little bit to think about all the different layers, the top coats, and then doing that on multiple skis, testing, just throwing away ones that aren't getting used and whatever. I mean, like, then they have to clean out all those skis too. So whatever wax job was done there, like, it's just kind of lost. I know that's not happening at the, 
U12 level. You know, like people are focused on development, fun, technique, and those things can win. Um, but because it occurs at such a crazy rate at the top level, you know, there is this element of inaccessibility and also legacy. Like legacies are so determined by this. I mean, like let's say Diggins doesn't win this medal today. You know, there's an alternative universe going on where she shows up as fit as she was, as mentally ready to go, but her skis are like, I don't know, 8% worse than they, than they were, you know, not even terrible, but just, a, just enough, you know, then, <laughs> then she gets a silver or a bronze and everything's different 40 years later. And I just wonder how many times has this happened to an American athlete where they're eighth or fourth or 30th or 20th, you know, and, and really there was no difference in their fitness or their ability than the person and their, you know, just the whole package than the person who did get a medal. I don't know. It just, it, it's sort of, it's intriguing. It's interesting to think about, but it just kind of, it does leave a layer of depression for me anyway, over the, over some of these championships. But I think it's, it's important to, to bring up at least because, you know, the, the person of this championships that is just breaking my heart right now, two of them, but one of them for us, Rosie Brennan, you know, not getting to have that medal and having all these things go against her, you know, if she never does get the get an individual medal at global championships, I feel like people are going to look at her a, a heck of a lot differently from a legacy standpoint than if she did have two or three medals, which it kind of seems like, you know, it's just a random luck thing that that could have happened. Like, this isn't the difference between Klabo legacy and Petter legacy where, like, I mean, think if you're Johannes Klabo right now, you're going, I should have a 50K World Championship medal. That just got ripped from me. You know, like if that was in America, we'd just be, we would never get over that. Um, it's not quite like that, but this game of inches, I think, can be critical in terms of legacy. So we're lucky that, you know, Jesse Diggins had a day where everything came together and she was able to put it all together. Um, and that's incredible. That's incredible. And, I will say this whole element I've, I'm talking about, this gives me an appreciation for skiing that is different than other sports. You know, I always do go back to my running career, and I, and but I, I think referencing even team sports, if you're a soccer player or basketball or football or whatever, um, and how, how um, showing up and delivering means a different thing in all those sports. Like in running, it's the most, you have the most autonomy over those things. There's not as much that you need to worry about in terms of factors to control. Everything is equalized once everyone's got their spikes and short shorts out on the track and you just go for broke. Um, and obviously leading into it, there's health, nutrition, you know, training and all that too. But that's obviously exists in cross-country skiing as well. But in skiing, you've got the element of in that race, trusting other people to take care of the very vital element of fast skis. And then there is a little bit more of like, even if you're leading by 12 seconds or something, I was thinking even for Diggins, like, I wonder if her mind ever shifts to at 8.3K into the race when she knows she's got this crazy lead and she's actually like tightening the screws and, you know, increasing the lead, which is amazing. I wonder if she's ever thinking like, okay, just don't fall. Don't do something stupid. <coughs> because, <coughs> I mean, that does, at least for me sometimes, I get I might be in a race and have a really big lead and just go, okay, the only thing that will screw this up is if you do something really stupid, you know, like fall and break a pole. 
Which, like, if you're in a loppet race and you're winning by five minutes and you break a pole with 3K to go, like, you, you definitely might get caught and your day's over. And it's not like at the you know, World Cup where you've got coaches everywhere. But, I even, yeah, Diggins, like, in an interval start or individual start or anything where, like, hundreds of a second matter. I mean, we're talking, like, if she just lost her balance for a second coming around some of these turns, it, it could be the difference between the metal color. So, I don't know. Be, I, I've always kind of wondered if at the highest level they even entertain those thoughts. You, you can't really, but... Yeah, it's part of the sport that is not in others. So, you know, I think, yes, we could talk about Jesse Diggins all day. We've got a couple of clips from her. So let's hear what else Jesse Diggins had to say about her individual gold medal. Congrats, it's your day. How was it out there being world championship? Your first in the single day. <laughs> um, that was crazy. It was so cool. Um, I'm just so thankful to the team because I had really great skis and really great walks. And you have to have that out there. And then with the snow and the temperature, it was perfect for me out there. And I could really just really attack the downhills and push super hard in the uphills. So I'm just so happy. <laughs> When you were start recognizing uh, it could work out today with gold medal? Uh, I didn't want to really believe it until the race was finished because I was scared to really look. So, um, But I, yeah, I think when I finally got up off the snow and saw the times, I thought, oh my God, this was one of the best races of my life. And I already knew that because of how it felt. You know, you can feel it in your body when you're in a good place. But um, yeah, it was just really special. You're the first U.S. woman with a single gold medal in cross-country. What does that mean to you? I, I hope it inspires the next generation to know that, you know, you can, you can do it and just work hard with a great team. And, um, yeah, I, I hope it inspires some little kids with glitter. All right, the sounds of Jesse Diggins there in the mix zone. So she's definitely inspiring the next generation glitter. And uh, maybe we'll see some... We'll be the next glitter-wearing skiers. Who knows? Uh, let's move over to the guys' individual start, where we saw the top four spots taken by Norwegians. Stephen Eidstig Kruger takes a medal, the gold medal. Amundsen with the silver. Hans Christer Holen takes the bronze. So Lynn Ski coming up with two medals again here. Johannes Klabo in fourth place. And I'm looking here at the results, really the race for him. At 10.8K, he was in third place. He had a two-tenths of a second lead over Holen. And at the next time check... 1.9K later, he was 12 seconds behind. So that's kind of where that race was decided. Now, interestingly, from 12.7 to the end, Klabo closes the gap. And in that segment, this is nuts. This is Klabo again, crazy. So his last interval from 12.7 to 15K, which is 2.3 kilometers, he did it in five minutes and nine seconds. That's the fastest time. The second fastest time was from Amundsen. Not all that surprising. Commentators are mentioning accurately that Amundsen was closing the door, closing the gap on Kruger. 5.18 for Amundsen. So he was nine seconds faster than that. How much faster than was he than Kruger? Well, Kruger's was 5.26.6. Now, granted, he's kind of celebrating. But even Holland, 5.21, had the third fastest time. So... We, we talked about this in the scathlon where, like, he had a lot left and he closed hard and got a silver. And I was saying all along, like, has, if he closes that gap immediately, he gets to ride with Kruger. And who knows? It could have been different. Even in this race, you know, <clears throat> when I was watching it, I, I, I wouldn't have totally guessed this. You know that there was this epic collapse between 10.8 and 12.7. And then he closes it, like, a, like furiously. But, man, I mean, this is, this is the weakness for Klabo. 
he is not good right now anyway, or he's not demonstrated that he's good at racing in an event where he is required to make the most, get the most out of himself in like a 20 minutes or 40 minutes. It's just him on the clock over the, over a course. And it, what I think is interesting is this to me is not, not like a lack of fitness. He trains a lot. He trains a lot of wide variety. He's got a lot of, you know, he can do 50 Ks. He can do sprints, obviously. So I don't think it's a lack of training fitness. It might be a lack of like, you know, practicing this though. Who knows? You know, I would imagine as he's so dialed in, he's very much of the Norwegian lactate, you know, testing every 18 seconds in all of his sessions. So like, I think he knows what it means to train at like a set zone and hold that for a long time. And I don't doubt that, but I wonder if his reliance on so many of those metrics in those types of workouts where it's like, okay, you're taking, you're getting your blood drawn. Oh, oh, you're going too fast. Slow down. Or you're going too slow. You can speed up. As opposed to like (laughs) the old school Ryan Cedarquist method of just going, okay, today's a threshold workout. How fast should you go? Um, Like, however fast you could hold for an hour. Okay, go. And then you're just, like, going at a steady state that you, you know, theoretically think you could hold for an hour. And even if the interval is eight minutes, that's the pace you're going. (coughs) In addition to those types of workouts where you're doing these intervals that are, like, ten minutes long, at that pace, you also might be throwing in an actual workout where you do do, like, a 45-minute tempo run, you know? I did that a lot when I was marathon training, like running, but in, and in skiing, okay, I don't really do like any specific workouts, but like, I definitely, I definitely could. If someone said like, okay, we're going to just do one big 45 minute chunk interval. I would be able to hop in there and throw down a pace that's pretty steady and constant through the whole way. And you wouldn't like find these crazy fluctuations. And I think Clabo, like that, that element is the thing that it appears he lacks. And, and if, if I'm wrong on that, then I'm, I'm not sure I can totally explain away what we saw in the Skiathlon or in this individual start, except for maybe the fact that because he has so much explosiveness, like not just sprinting, but just generally as a skier, he is, he is dynamic and explosive. Like he could blow apart a field. He has, he has the fastest top speed. He has literally the fastest skis. He's got the best technique. It's like, it's like he's an He's got an F-22, and he is a jumbo jet pilot. You know, he's almost like in his head. He doesn't even know how to, like, handle all of the talent that is inside of him. That, that I guess maybe that could be it, too. Like, he he goes down and downhill and realizes how fast his skis are, and then he charges up the next uphill, and then it kind of blows him up because he went too fast. It's like, yeah, he just he doesn't really have it. And, and in a relay, we saw, you know, today, he doesn't even have to test himself at all. He basically just is out for an L1 that entire 10k and that's kind of how his relays often are you know it's that or it's bullshit he lets bullshit come up and catch him he takes him in for a ride to the finish and then sprints by him at the end and yeah that's kind of dramatic I'm sure he loves doing that but again he's not he's not really ever being he has not thrived in a situation where it's from the gun going for it so if there's any chink in Colombo's armor I think it's that and I don't think it's like a physical element that's why this championships I thought we would see for the first time the true demonstration of the breadth of his talent, where here's a guy who can sprint with the best of them, here's a guy who can individual start with the best of them, and here's a guy who can go long with the best of them. And, I mean, it's not like like a fourth and a second in these two events. We're getting kind of critical here, but, yeah, you throw in the Russians, it's a couple places back farther, and to be frank, it's like 
he had the ability to win both of these. So, I mean, like a fourth place for him, it, who cares? Talk about a meaningless, other than it just would, it must great at Klabo. To finish fourth at the World Championships, it can't bug anyone more, you know, than Johannes Klabo because he expects to win every single one in the first place. So even a third or a second is a little bit of a bothersome, but a fourth, oh my gosh, like he's got to be ticked. And, you know, Klabo's got a couple fourths. I believe he was fourth in another, maybe it was a skiathlon. I can't remember. I was looking at some old World Championship results and I saw it. I was like, oh, that's interesting, you know, because the medal count, global medal count for him is a big deal. Um, also, you know, I mentioned earlier the 50K World Championship that he, he lost that was kind of stupid. That's a big deal. Um, but, yeah, every time he gets it in a race. Now, this brings up a good point. After Kruger wins this and Kruger wins another medal in the relay, he's got three golds and three starts. Meanwhile, Kloppo's got three golds, a silver, and a fourth. Uh, oh, that fourth. It just bought, he could have five medals right now going to the 50K, which presumably he'll get another medal there. But who do you like as being the king of these championships at this point? Like, three straight golds looks really shiny and clean for Kruger. And he, he's won in dominant fashion. Um, it should be interesting. Obviously, he's not a classic specialist. I, I would think... Is Kruger, do you think do you think he'll do the 50K classic? I mean, I would if the coaches are like, dude, he's on fire. Let's just let him rip. You know, because, I mean... Obviously, you got you got Clabo, you've got well, they've got um, they've got the defending champion in there as well. So Everson's gonna be in there. So there's your two spots for that. Uh, I mean, Holden looked pretty good in the classic actually today. He pretty much won it for the Norwegians. More on that later. But I mean, I don't know. If I was a coach, I would definitely I'd ask Ruby like, do you want to try this 50k classic? Okay, okay, I'll let you go. Like, let's do it. You're on fire. You do have. Some other guys like Goldberg's got to get in there. I, I don't think you'd have to consider him, but yeah, wow, what a what a problem they have to have. But that was a talk I want to bring it up. Is Kruger or Klaba the king? I kind of think right now, you know, the visual is Kruger. He that he's the king of these championships because he has won going away. He's three for three, and and I I do like a fifteen k individual champion because of the things I've stated on other shows, that this is just kind of the pure, this is the pure cross-country ski race. Who's the fastest? Ready, set, go. So I like Kruger for that reason. I think what Klabo is doing is definitely a little more difficult um, in the sense that there's so much more can happen in the sprint. He's got had a, a ton of pressure in all these, um, and he's just done all the races. So, yeah, I mean, the difference is absolutely the skiathlon, unfortunately. You know, if if... Klabo even if Klabo makes it a second place by under two seconds or under one second or something like that in the skiathlon, then he's the king of this championship because he would have almost taken the mantle from Kruger in the specialty event of Kruger, in addition to all these other wins. But because I feel like he sort of blew that skiathlon and then followed it up with a wooden spoon, right now, Klabo uh, a little bit of a disappointment, which is amazing to say, consider he's got three golds, five medals. But, you know, he's hungry. He'll be back. He'll be strong. Let's talk a little bit about... Um, I got to go to my notes here for a, a second. Oh, man. The handy the, the Cedar Skier columns or show ideas were document. Just flooded. Flooded with a lot of notes. I worked super hard on a piece about David Norris. We had David Norris on our last show. Obviously a big hit. Norris. We're big fans of David Norris. And I was like, well, I'm going to put together a story for this here. So... 
I got quotes from multiple athletes. We got we hear from Rosie Brennan, Scott Patterson. Um, you know, talk to Josh Smolin for a half an hour. Uh, Chris Grover, and maybe even Jessica Yeaton coming up here. Jessica just reached back. She's like, "Hey, you still want to hear from me?" I'm like, "Yes, I did write this 3,500 word story already, but totally." Now, I, I poured my heart and soul into this story as I'm as I'm still like I was doing this on the outside of my full time job. So I'm like trying to transcribe randomly um, <laughs> late at night and stuff. And I was I was within sight of the finish line of posting this story. And of course, the faster skier comes along and writes this piece on David Norris. It did. No offense, you know, no hard feelings. I'm sure Ben, Ben, who wrote the story part, he's a, he's a good member of the Nordic ski community, but I, I was a little crestfallen because I'm like, oh no, like I thought this was going to be my chance to uh, write a cool story. You know, I kind of knew about this insider information and I'm going to tell the David Norris story and, and get it out there and be the guy who's got his name on it. Not that that matters, but it kind of matters. So <clears throat> that's what the, the notebook is filled up with is all these notes. But it, I did put put this story on cedarskier.com now. So you can see it on my blog. If you want to read about David Norris, go check it out. Cedarskier.com, David Norris story. It's going to go to Nordic Insights soon and then it'll go to a much larger audience because cedarskier.com has like 18 people who visit it daily. So you could be someone who visits it daily. And if you like these podcasts, maybe you should become our third monthly supporter. We've got two right now. We're growing. In fact, we have 100% growth in the last month. Okay. So um, individual starts. Oh, I got some other notes here. Porima, terrible offset. His hand is weird. Yes. Let's let's talk about this. Now, it's interesting. I think Devin Kershaw loves William Porima, and he also hates on everyone's technique. Why is he not ripping Porima for this? Go back and watch Porima climb. I'm I'm starting to become the V1 czar, by the way, um, because I like it's the only thing apparently that I'm noticing is how everyone V1s differently. But Porma, the thing that bothers me, and I I like him as a skier, he seems cool and everything, but he um he offsets his his right arm. It seems like it's really kind of close to the chest. It's not out far. He's not like getting the angle out where he's reaching out forward enough and really pulling his body in as he as he shifts his weight over to that that hillside ski and and it it's just kind of it, it's nice and strong and compact but it 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 doesn't look like there's a lot of leverage happening there almost like if you had the um pole forces being taken for, from Porama's um lead arm they would be way less than anyone else that that would be my guess I don't know it doesn't I I think he could like get that thing out a little bit his hand looks a little weird it's kind of got I don't know you guys see, it's a little too rolled in. It's a little too pronated inside for me. So there's my technique of the day. I, I also think, as, as we're talking about Porma right now, I do think he's a little overrated, okay? A couple thoughts I've thought about him. Like, I mean, he has had some great world championships results considering his age. And I know that, you know, everyone, it seems like, is making this com- comparison all the time. He's the same year of birth as Gus Schumacher and Molk. And they, they list off the class of people who are all in this you know, this magical U23 World Juniors age group or whatever. And then poor Gus Schumacher has to hear this constantly, right? Like he was the world champion and he beat all these guys. And now Porima is getting fifth and fourth and blah, blah, blah. So I, if I was Gus, I'd be like, oh my gosh, I'm going to make an MP3 track of that stuff and just play it on repeat and have a five-minute track of all these people saying this. And I'll roller ski to that every single day next year. And I'm going to come back and destroy these people. But the thing I think about Porma is as good as those results are, that's great. You know, better that than being like 50th for sure. Um, but 
he needs to he needs to now make a breakthrough. Like he is to me um at the risk of becoming like you know Richard Hamilton of the in the NBA. If you don't know who Richard Hamilton is, it's probably because you're like who's who's Richard Hamilton? You know just kind of like a nice player who's a nice shooting guard and averages 23 points a game. Goes his whole career kind of just as this, you know, pretty quiet guy who's not doing anything. But, like, if you really dissect him, you're like, oh, he's actually pretty good. Poruma, if he racks up all these fifth, sixth, fourths at Worlds, it's like, hey, man, if it's not a medal, it starts to not matter. You know, like, and so, especially if you're in a nation like Sweden, like, he's going to have to make this step like Richard Hamilton eventually did with the Detroit Pistons winning the NBA championship in, like, 04. He's going to have to make this step where, like, he starts to win some of these races or gets a medal because otherwise he's just kind of a pretender. He's not He's not enough of an endurance junkie to make a serious breakaway, and he's definitely not a, enough of a sprinter to hang. So, and we saw this in the relay, too. Um, Chad Sommel was kind of like, oh, I'm surprised that, you know, Porma didn't try to go or try to split up this group. I wasn't surprised. Porma has never demonstrated to me that he has that capability, you know, so I'm kind of waiting for Porma to come out, put a stamp on something, and get a and have a real breakthrough performance. A breakthrough performance can be a seventh or an eighth or a fifth for like a guy like Ben Ogden right now. If if Ben Ogden would have gotten fifth in the 10K individual start, you know, we'd all be just going crazy, you know, and and that's fair. Everyone gets to go crazy for Porma on that first one, but once you do it like six times, you know, it, it starts. It's like, hey man, you know, next year you're gonna be what 24 or whatever. You're in your prime now. So now you got to start winning medals. Okay. Um, <laughs> there's my poor Morant. Uh, okay. Oh, second point from the individual starts. Can we stop the creepy posts on Facebook regarding Jesse Diggins? My gosh. If you guys saw, obviously, US ski and snowboard, and Facebook is just like they're, they're, they're throwing all these posts of Jesse Diggins wins this historic gold medal. Read some of the comments there. What is with like 63 year old guys <laughs> writing these messages and it, and be, and calling Jesse Diggins, you know, Jess, like they're on a first name basis or they used to date or something. It's creepy. <laughs> like these people need to realize, I don't think Jesse Diggins, maybe Jesse Diggins is going back and like reading all these comments, you know, oh, thank you for saying, you know, this nice message. It's, it's creepy because people are writing messages to Jesse Diggins that are nicer, longer, just more thorough and authentic than they would write a message to like, their, you know, relative. That's the part that's driving me nuts. If you think, you know, let's say you wake up one day and you're like, I think I'm going to write a nice message to my mom or dad and thank them for everything they've done or I'm going to see how my brother's doing so I'm going to write him a message quick on Facebook or whatever. You'll write a few lines or something maybe and like, but no, Jesse Diggins gets, you know, third at Davos and you are writing this heartfelt Facebook comment. It's the weirdest thing ever. Needs to stop. So there we go. Um. Oh, ooh. Hmm. This is a bad one here. Here we go. Gus Schumacher and a Canadian both come across at the same time. Canadian stopped his watch at the line. Unbelievable. Individual start. Now, this was this went, o- this went over a lot of people's heads. I know. This is critical, though. I've seen it all the time. Athletes stopping their watch at the finish line of, like, any race, to me, is absolutely despicable. I don't care if this is the West Fargo duel, okay? If you are a sixth grader, running the 800 meters and you've got four people in your races, you do not stop your stopwatch at the finish line. That is absolutely unacceptable. You you shouldn't even be wearing a watch in a race, honestly. If you're running, if you're, (laughs) 
in a race, here's the races you can wear a watch in, okay? Let me tell you, it has to be a road race longer than 10,000 meters. If it's not that, you can't wear a watch. NCAA championships, 10,000 meters on the track, you should not be wearing a watch. They've got clocks everywhere, watches everywhere, coaches are yelling splits. You don't need a watch. It's extra weight. It's actually impeding your performance. And that that's on down for any track event. If you're on the road, you never really know. A watch makes sense. If it's 10 miles or something like that, it's longer than 10K, makes perfect sense. Marathon, same thing, makes sense. Cross country, maybe. Talk to me. Send me a private message. I'll tell you what I think. It's probably course dependent. But in a cross-country ski race in the world championships, honestly, cross-country ski race, period. What on earth? Now, I for all of you guys out there who are like citizens races, racers, and you're pretty serious, you've got watches. I know some of my close friends do too. And so it's like, hey, man, what's the difference for me? Am I, am I shaving off a tenth or a hundredth? I'm going to wear my watch. I like keeping the data. It's cool. That, that to me is also somewhat acceptable. And especially since we're out there doing, you know, races that, it might be two 25K laps, and you have you you actually want your watch. You got a pace. You want to see if you're going to take a feed at a certain time. There's some validity to that. But like championship-style races, or like if, if I had an athlete who was racing like a 5K, you know, at, for Ski and Snowboard Club Bay, I'd be like, what are you doing with your watch? Are you going to look at that? Are you going to stop it at the end? Absolutely not. No. Um, it drives me nuts. So Schumacher did have his watch on. He did stop it, but he waited until he was past the finish line. So Gus obviously has his down. If you're going to wear a watch, Schumacher knows what to do. The Canadian guy stopped it at the line. It was an unbelievable sight to see. But <coughs> I'm sure I'll get some email from my brother, Tom Cedarquist, who, um, you know, Lake Effect fame, Lake Effect, the, the, the biggest new thing in running clubs. He'll probably send me and go, well, you know that the world record 5,000 meters on the track, the guy stopped his watch like at the finish line. I mean, that is, without question, the most amazing Strava file in existence. The 5K world record on the track with, you know, watches being stopped and started at the beginning. It's just unbelievable. Let's get back to skiing, though. Let's talk about the relay. Um, Okay. My notes here are kind of in chronological order. Start with the girls' 4x5K. Exciting race. Americans come away medalists. It just seems like this is the way it's going to be for us. Um, my heart breaks for Rosie Brennan. That was a huge takeaway. My heart also breaks for Krista Parmakoski. Okay, I don't know if it's the pigtails like softening me up or something, but Krista Parmakoski, I... Oh, man. I just... I feel like she... She's kind of... She's sort of a the Rosie Brennan of Finland. Hold on a second. I got to bring up her uh, Wikipedia page because I don't want to screw up my knowledge of stats. Parmakoski sort of the Rosie Brennan. Now, she does have medals, so it's not – and she has a lot of them, actually. She's got five Olympic medals right now, and she has one, two, five, seven world championship medals, but no golds in any of those. So she's won five Olympic medals. She was a, and her and really her best. Um, she's got one of those as a relay, four by five silver. She won silver in the thirty k classical in twenty eighteen at the Olympics. That's probably like the best medal accomplishment she's ever had. Pyeongchang, um, Pyeongchang, great Olympics for her. three three medals, but a bronze in the ten k freestyle and a bronze in the skiathlon. I mean, like look at that Olympics. The three marquee events for distance skiathlon. Individual start and master classic. She won medals in all those: silver and two bronze. Um, Beijing wins a bronze in the ten k classical at Worlds. Four of her 
medals are from 4x5Ks, and two of them are from Team Sprints. She only has one individual world championship medal, and it's in a 15K scaffold from 2017, a silver medal. So to me, Parmakoski is it's interesting because you look at a career where she's got 285 individual starts, 14 years on the World Cup. She has um, 36 individual podiums. Only five individual wins, though. But, like, a, a person who is incredibly consistent and and really, like, in the mold almost of, like, Amari Bjorgen in some ways. When you look at, like, just sort of the versatility. I mean, and I know people are like, what are you talking about? A sprinter? But, like, in the sprint standing, she was in the top 10 three years in a row from 2016 to 2018. Um, but discipline standings, she's she's just a really fine all-around skier. Um, you, I suppose you could almost kind of say she's sort of Finland's Jesse Diggins too, because you know only only quite frankly with much better technique. Like if you got Parmakoski, no matter what the technique is, you're like you feel confident with her. But she's 32 years old, no individual world championship medals now. Johag's gone, and um, the Finns just had a really great relay going. They didn't mention Matsinsalo uh, until very late, but she really set up. Um, Finland excellently in in this um in this relay. And you just kind of feel bad because you know they 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 came apart at the seams. I'm gonna pull up the um relay splits here. Let's see if this will give us all the details. Downloading here the specifics. Okay, so Finland. Matsin Salo, hands off, they're in third place, 0.9 seconds back. Kertu Niskanen. Obviously, in a fantastic classic, ski, a classic skier, hands off in second place, 1.9 seconds back. And the leaders at that time, Hennig of Germany. Okay, now the third leg, this is Jesse Diggins hops in there. And by the way, she had the, the second fastest third leg. The fastest was Ostberg. Diggins cut down some serious time, it looks like. Wow, is this accurate? She, when she tagged off. Oh, I see. Her time was seven seconds slower than Osberg Diggins was. She tagged off 49 seconds back, though. So it's interesting. Like, Brennan gave the baton to Diggins 48 seconds back. Diggins actually handed off 49.7 seconds back. Kind of an interesting, uh, interesting tidbit there. Um, but going back to the Finns. Now, Evelyn P- Piepo, uh, the third leg, she tags off to Parmakoski, and they're 21 seconds back. So they were 0.3 seconds back in second to 21 seconds back in fourth. Um, and then Parmakoski just gets eaten up by Maya Dahlquist. Um, and, you know, all the credit to Dahlquist for doing what she need, needed to do to get that bronze medal. But, you know, Finland had a really great team. And I'm, I don't know. I don't know the Finns, like, roster well enough to know, like, would Johan Su have been a better choice there? Maybe. I don't know. She got obliterated by Diggins in the team sprint. Um, so, you know, maybe not. But basically... They, they had three really good sticks that on that day, they, they should have been able to actually fight for the silver medal, which I guess another silver medal, you know, what do we what do we really care? But that was kind of one of the hidden stories, I think, was just how well Finland raced on the girls' side and kind of comes up short. And I think Parmakoski is one of those skiers. Her legacy um, kind of just exists in the shadow because there's been some really great Norwegians that her career has overlapped with, and now with the likes of Calvo and Ostberg and Slind really having a resurgence in their, in their early to mid-30s, kind of almost makes Parmakoski look like, what's your problem? You know, like, 
and and you feel bad because Parmakoski was at her best and but fighting against the best of her time with Bjorgen and Johag. Well, now she is kind of like kind of kind of burned out probably a little bit, like not having the career trajectory like Slynn and Osberg are having where they're kind of resurging at a time when the women's field is wide open now. So that that was a takeaway. I felt a little bit bad for her. How about Norway, though? This this team really was exciting. When you think about all the great storylines here, really Tierno Udensvang is the only big-time player that you've got. Like, um, well, okay, let me, let me back up. Not big-time player. What I mean by that is, like, young, fresh, ready to go. And she leads off, gives them the lead, but then you've got Slind, Osberg, and Calvo. And the, the amazing link between all those athletes is is their age and their career trajectory and just the amazing comebacks they've had. Um, you know, Slind, we've talked about, the, the ski classics athlete. Osberg was a world beater and then out of the game for like two years and now back. Calvo missing the Olympics because of COVID, a bunch of fourth place finishes on the World Cup. I mean, the trials and tribulations... It, it did not shock me in the slightest to see Norway celebrating like crazy at the finish line there. And again, I think the thing I would have been or that I was thinking as I was watching this in real time was, oh, man, I want to, you know, kind of express to the viewers watching all those backstories. That was the thing I, w- I wanted to interject. <laughs> the broadcaster in me was like, you know, <laughs> this isn't just a case of, wow, it's weird that Norway's celebrating. That's, you know, they win all the time. No, no, no. Like, the incredible backstories here, the the jubilation from the Slins, the Osbergs, the Calvos, like, this is a huge, huge medal for them. And honestly, even Tierra Unis Vang, like, her career, she is having an amazing year right now, but she doesn't have, like, she's not like a Clabo where she's got seven gold medals in the back of her closet, you know, and this was just another relay win. You know, she's she's the new face of Norwegian skiing right now. So... Now, I I was I thought that was actually probably one of the most juiciest wins that we've seen the four four by five k women's relay because you had Sweden with so much confidence coming in and so much ability so much ability and Norway steals it I mean I, I'm sure there was just crazy celebration there now speaking of Sweden this was an interesting choice for me that they had Sundling not on the relay, but more interesting that they had her start in the individual start. I thought those were two huge mistakes. What What is Sundling? I mean, I know she's got some range, okay? And Kershaw likes to c- compare her to, like, the, you know, she's the next next coming of Bjorgen, but, and that might be true, but she is not someone where, like, you go, okay, individual freestyle, she's going to medal. And quite frankly, considering she's done all the events she has done so far, like why why tire out for that? I I would have absolutely with her been like, hey, we're gonna save you for that anchor leg, um, in the relay, you know, and and we're gonna make sure you're fresh for that. And I don't know, I I mean, I'm not sure if they have a different replacement, someone they they would have put in the individual start. Maybe maybe they just figured Sunling is actually our best individual start athlete, and Dahlquist can close just as well as Sunling. Both of those things might actually be true. I just think this wasn't the absolute best Swedish team because you you could put Dahlquist at the leadoff leg too, or you know, and tell her to gun it or something, uh, or Sundling at the at the leadoff leg. Maybe maybe you do that. Sundling leads off instead of Rebom. Dahlquist closes. I mean, Rebom's no not a shabby skier by any means. I just thought it was weird that they chose to have Sundling race an individual start that she really 
like, if everything goes amazing, she might get in the medals, but she's going to have to take down Ebba Anderson, Frida Carlson, and Jesse Diggins. Like, that's pretty formidable. And and Diggins took the skiathlon off. You know, Anderson and Carlson have been crushing. What do you think you're going to do here? So I thought that was maybe a poor decision, to be honest, um, on the Swedish side. As far as the U.S. ski team, you know, if we want to pick, uh, get nitpicky about the order there, we went Haley Swirble, Rosie Brennan, Jesse Diggins, Julia Kern. Not not sure I have any problems really with that. Um, speaking of Kern, I think some people have talked about how the team sprint that was set up really perfectly. I kind of disagree a little bit. Well, I, I don't dis- I don't disagree um, with their choice of going Kern and Diggins. But I think you could make an argument that given what happened, you could have just as well had Rosie Brennan in that situation. So going to the team sprint here, I know we're kind of like shuffling back. We, we sort of did discuss this to some degree. But in that team sprint, when you have Kern as your anchor, I think the logic there is Kern is, the, is our best chance in a drag race against a Sunling or Tiro Unisvang. And I 100% agree with that. She's the most dynamic, the most explosive, the strongest. If it's and, and that finishing straightaway kind of was like this could be a great chance for Kern if she's if she can handle the aerobic nature and aerobic challenges of this type of of an event. So okay, that makes some sense. Now, when you when you watch the race though, Kern basically you know she led it out, she led her her portion of it, and she really did not have any response. To the final sprint. So to me, well, it's exciting that Kern gets that medal, and it's 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 great for her. There's no question in my mind that Rosie Brennan could have absolutely done ex- exactly what they just did, which was let's gun from the start, let's lead from the start, hard pace the whole way through. In fact, that's Rosie Brennan's calling card. You know, would be let's make it really hard. If they're going to beat us, they're going to have to pass us. And and Brennan's not any like she's not too shabby on the sprint side either. She she can sprint so. If I was Rosie Brennan and getting left off that team, well, I would understand the strategy and the logic. I would have been kind of upset afterwards because you're sort of going, wow, basically that medal is ours for the taking. And Kern's going in there to be like really aggressive. Let's roll the dice and see if we could win. All right. I like that. But then she kind of just raced conservative, it seemed like, to like get just the medal. Um, and, and I mean, it's, it's so hard to know, like it, it, as you're watching it from the United States, not really being in the venue, you can't tell what Kern's going up against or whatever, you know, so all the, all the credit to her as far as like coming through winning that medal. But I, I, my heart breaks a little bit for, for Brennan, because I feel like that of all of the events was probably the most, hmm, w- one of our best chances for a medal. Our depth, you know, with with someone like Diggins, the nature of the team sprint. I feel like when I was watching that anyway, I was like, well, Sweden's, Sweden should win this. But it is wide open after that, and I really like our chances. You know, so that, that was a little bit of a bummer. And as far as closing with Kern, I think that might maybe not matter as much. Maybe the strategy there is just let's keep ourselves in it for as long as possible. Um, it would have been really interesting to see what Diggins could have done, you know, if— if they tag off and they're really close. So I think that 21 second gap from Swerble was actually kind of the, the crucial leg. You know, I think Brennan broke a ski pole, right? So there was some, there was an adversity situation that, that happened there. And I guess you could argue that if Rosie Brennan doesn't do that and gives Jesse Diggins, you know, a 20 second 
gap instead of what it was. Maybe she can pull something off. But I mean, even looking at Diggins, her split, 11.55. Like Pia Fink went 11.59. Frida Carlson was 11.59. You know, like uh, Osberg, we already talked, was 11.47. Like that pace was capable of gunning it. Um, so I, I think a 20-second gap, either way, Diggins is just going to be off the back. You know, so I don't I don't know. I'm not sure what the solution is really there. Like maybe Sophia Lockley sitting there going, Oh, I could have done better. I don't know. On a five K, I think Swerble is probably the best best chance we have there. We just aren't very loaded, you know. All right, so enough on the uh girls relay there. Um yeah, I took some notes here. I'm reading through them. I, I was typing Ebba's poll. This changes everything. Yeah, the the Ebba breaking her poll, crazy. Um, and then I wrote, watch Frida with the best, best race of these champs. That didn't happen. Frida came apart. Um, but I did write, wow, for Norway redemption. Yep. That's true. Uh, just feel for the fins. Blah, blah, blah. What do we have? Anything on the guys? Let's go to the guys. So that happened today. Guys four by 10 guys, four by 10 kilometer relay. Norway runs away with it. Let's pull up the splits just to have a little fun here you know the thing that kind of shocks me and i can say this as as i'm you know i'll try and multitask here live on shovel lake public radio one thing that i was amazed by and it kind of bothers me is how does holand create that much of a gap in a 10k like honestly it was insane hans christian holand where do we got um 2439. So he tags off 2439. Who was in second? Trying to f- read the splits here. Second, was it? Were we in second? No. I know Ben Ogden was right up there. Oh, man. The second place team at that point. Switzerland. Jeez, that is crazy. Okay, but. Oh, yeah, that's right. Beta Clay, uh, Clay had that crazy. Yeah, Beta Clay, 25 flat. So Clay was 25.2 seconds behind Holland. 25.2 in a 10K. I mean, I just feel like that is the entire men's field immediately deciding we're racing for second. Now, maybe that really is the smartest thing to do. Like, okay, there is no chance we're beating this Norwegian team, so let's make it a race for second, and we're going to be tactical within that. Like, just disregard the Norwegians, pretend they're not even here, everyone just race for second. Maybe that that truly is the best strategy to do, but part of me was just wondering, like, if if Holland's pace is even reasonable, why not just get up by him and, and race for second, but get a nice little hop on the train from Holland, which I think was kind of almost what the Japanese athlete was maybe thinking too. Like, man, I feel like we're really dogging it here. So I might as well create a little bit of a gap. Super bummed that that did not work out for Japan, which if you're like, where did Japan end up finishing in this race? Japan finished 10th. Um, but Rio Heroes, he was the hero of that race because he was doing exactly what I was thinking in real time. Meanwhile, though, the action hop plays out. You know, Ben Ogden... Runs a great first leg. He leaves us right in there, 25-01. So I mentioned he, he takes off, you know, one second behind that group with Clay. 
Um, and then, and and in 2501, that was his split. The next split, we go Hunter Wonders 2602, and that was the killer. We went from being 26 seconds out of first to a minute 48 seconds out of first. And Hunter just the he had the 11th fastest split there in his leg. Closed out Scott Patterson 2216. That's the seventh fastest in his leg. Gus Schumacher, 22.44, also the seventh fastest. A little hard to know, you know, what's he racing for at that point for Gus. Maybe coaches tell him you got to save something. I don't know if Gus is racing in the 50K or not. If he's not, then it's a little bit concerning. Like, again, in a 10K, I don't think Gus Schumacher should be 28 seconds behind Scott Patterson, as good as Scott Patterson is at skate races. You know, Gus Schumacher is our guy. So, like, you know, I, that's why I bring up reading those splits. It's just kind of disappointing. Um, now, early on in this race, as things were playing out, my immediate thought, especially starting that second leg, was I can't believe they did not lead in building up the team from Canada. Canada has a lot of excitement coming into this. You, you, right? You've got the youngster in McKeever. That's exciting. And he had a great first leg. Keeps him right in there. Tags off. But then Antoine Sierre and Graham Ritchie have had some really good results in the World Cup, especially Sierre. So, like, when you take it up to Sierra, I'm thinking, all right, this is this is shaping up really nicely for Canada. Let's see what they can do. Now, Olivier Laviel, or Lavelle, I'm not sure if it's Lavier. I think it's I think it might be Lavelle. Um, he he is he's got to be kind of bombed, and and I'm sure, you know, what can you do? It's hard to tell. 21 seconds slower than Graham Ritchie, who who really pulled an unbelievable, the third fastest third leg that there was out there. Um, and Graham Ritchie, yeah, just. Just an amazing performance for Canada. But the entire time, I was thinking, man, I would have been pumping up Canada, man. I, I liked what they had on their roster. I'm not sure. but they, And late, when Graham Ritchie was like still there, then they were like, you know, Keegan's bringing up and, and Chad was bringing up. Oh, yeah, like, look at this performance from, from Graham Ritchie. But to me, coming into that race, I had high hopes for Canada. So the fifth place finish for me ended up ultimately being a disappointment because – I, I really thought they could be a dark horse for the medal, and then lo and behold, they absolutely put themselves in that position to be a dark horse. Now, on this second leg, another bizarre thing that I was observing was, what is Evo Niskanen doing? And I had to quickly, you know, almost delete that out of my notes, because of course he goes away and blows open the race um, with the fastest second leg, 24-14. But he basically put on, I think I wrote this in my notes somewhere, his uh, his gap. Where do we got this? Uh, leg two. Niskanen. What is he doing? Yeah, this is my notes, by the way. When Niskanen was just chilling in the back on the first 5K, I go, this isn't Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl. <laughs> um, If you don't get the reference, Paul Allen calling the 2009 NFC Championship game. Brett Favre throws the ball across his body, intercepted by the Saints. If he, if he decides to throw an incomplete pass or run two yards and slide, Vikings kick a field goal and go to the Super Bowl. But instead, the Saints go. So Paul Allen on the mic goes, this isn't Detroit, man. This is the Super Bowl because basically saying, hey, I don't care if you take that risk against Detroit, but come on, this is the Super Bowl. And I'm watching Niskanen going, all right, it looks like you're out for a leisurely stroll, which is fine if this is like, I don't know, Ruka, although you probably wouldn't want to do that in Ruka if you're Evo Niskanen. But if it's some podunk event, doesn't really matter. But this, come on, man, this isn't the level Lopet. This is the World Championships. And, and then he goes and breaks it apart. But I was about ready to go, Niskanen is done. He's not even the best guy on roster. That's your guy, Nico Antola. Um, but Niskanen drops the hammer, creates this massive gap, and literally 
38 seconds on the field in 10K, and he basically did it in 5K. If I if I am in the group right there and I finish that second leg and I'm 38 seconds back from a guy, he put that 38 seconds on in a 5K, I think I write my my training journal like, all right, classic roller skis every day, twice a day until next world championships. Because that's that just seems embarrassing to me. And these are all world-class athletes. How can one guy be that much better? And so I asked, I posed that question with the Holland thing, but with Holland, you feel like, you know, like I mentioned, these other teams might have literally decided we're racing for second. So it makes some sense that Holland pulls away. And he's not a shabby classic skier. But for Niskanen to just toy with the field and then put 38 seconds on in a 5K, I mean, that's nuts. And I mean, Finland should be throwing a party for him because he literally won won it for them. Uh, Hirvinen did just what he needed to do, but but he had the sixth fastest skate time. It wasn't all that impressive. By the way, the fastest third leg, Kruger, which you might be going, yeah, so? Keep keep in mind, he got the baton. <laughs> I'm trying to see where what his lead was when Kruger gets it. Paul Goldberg passes it on. 48-5-1. Who is in second? 24-second lead. Okay, so Kruger gets the baton with a 24-second lead, and he extends that to a 1-minute and 1-second lead, and he, he goes 21-32.4, the second-fastest skate leg in that group belonged to Jonas Dobler, 21-44, and the third fastest was Richie at 22 flat. So, I mean, Kruger's out there all by himself just destroying everyone. <laughs> you know, like, and credit to Dobler of Germany. Uh, great performance from him and the, the entire German team, really. But, yeah, the, the skate the skate legs left a little bit to be desired, I feel like, in some degree. Because, I don't know, it just it, it appeared to me during those two legs for everyone that no one was really pushing it. Which is bizarre. Like... I, I understand that, uh, and especially the last leg, when you had Malk doing it out, dueling it out with Jules Lapierre, these are the two guys who were like excelling on the Tour de Ski final climb. Like, what are you guys, why are you waiting so long to make the move? They finally made the animalistic aerobic guy move and started started hammering. But I was like, you guys could have done that at the start of your leg. You know, and who knows if your teammates had done that at the start of their legs. You know, if, if Dobler could have, I guess, I guess I can't can't critique Dobler too much. Maybe Clement Paris deserves a little bit more because Paris was about twenty seconds slower than Dobler on the split time. But I don't think I, I just feel like they gave that to Finland way too easily, and I and I don't feel like that about Finland to Norway. Finland was way behind Norway. There's no way they're catching up, so they just were being smart. You know, like staying in control. And I bet coaches were going around like bewildered going hey guys you're in second right now yeah you're a minute ahead of the pack and they're not even trying to catch you <laughs> like it went from a um, let's race for second to let's race for third and I thought that was kind of bizarre I, I don't I don't get that I think that's just such a guy thing I think where there's so much like cockiness on a guy the testosterone is like they want to do something showy in, in for the crowd so it's I want to beat this guy who's right next to me it's like, okay, great, you got third. You know there's two other people in front of you, right? Um, yeah, well, there's too much risk for cowardness if they do that. This is this is the the bad side of masculinity, right? You see you see this all the time. If you have a hundred kids in recess in like third grade and they're all spread out over a field and then the bell rings, you'll see kids like race each other back to the door. And it's always funny how like 
there, there is a fastest kid, and he, he like, wins. He's pulling away like a gazelle. And then back somewhere amongst the, you know, ran, random kids who aren't very fast, you'll see, like, two guys, like, duking it out against each other. No one's watching. You didn't win. You didn't get to the door first, okay? Like, we don't but, – but they're having this little duel. And that's a little bit what I felt like with Haverson and with – uh, Mock and with Lapierre, like uh, um, even La- La- Lavelle was not, he didn't look like he could contend at all, but he, he liked to be in that picture because yeah, the screen was on them and it was showing them most of the time. But yeah, that's the thing. It's like, okay, guys, gr- good for you. But yeah, you took the cowardly out. You decided at the start of this race to race for second, which is cowardly. And then, but maybe smart. And then you decided to race for third, which is even weirder because it, you did not have these, you know, killers up there for Finland. I mean, Hirvinen's having a good year. He's not that amazing. And then Antola is a U23 athlete. So I get it. He was U23 world champion. He's got some He's got some potential. He looks good out there. He'll probably be really good. But you didn't test him at all on the big stage. So Finland walks away, handed a medal. Canada, I'm a little disappointed with. Those are my thoughts on the 4 by 10 kilometer relay. I do have some other things. Just some covenant cleanup, I guess we could say. There were some... Um, Talking points I have um, from the last Faster Skier show that I listened to um, regarding they, they, they were talking about Alvir Mirbach, which as a ski classics guy, I feel like I have to to jump in with my thoughts. But oh, wait, I'm just getting word right now. We have boots on the ground. Shovel like public radio. Ajay is actually over in Planitza right now. Yes, that's right. My German Shepherd, Boracali, who serves as an interim producer, we, we decided to fundraise and get the flight for Ajay to ride. Um, and it was a little bit rough because we had to act... Well, we won't explain you know, how we got her there. It was difficult getting a dog all the way to Planitza, and especially a dog that is really has, a tr- has trouble um, with humans or at least is unpredictable with humans Ajay tends to bark or not bark but like charge at people randomly um with a vicious display of aggression and teeth and it's usually pretty harmless I mean I've never actually seen her bite someone before but she definitely acts like she's going to take you out and so getting that past security getting her on course and then of course yeah Nordic skiing I mean she loves skiing with me and one other person basically you know um so I'm not sure exactly who's watching her at Planitza in the stadium um, because I would imagine she is a wreck, like absolutely barking and growling at everyone. But anyway, Ajay's there live, and we're getting uh, Ajay right now. Yes, she is She is on the ground, and she is actually speaking to Ben Ogden after the interview. So here, here we go, Ajay talking to Ben Ogden after the format tank. Right. How brutal was that with the pace Ulun uh, Norway put on from the very, very beginning? Yeah, it was. Uh, it was pretty impressive. I just was congratulating him. I mean, he's uh, he's an incredible athlete, and uh, he he, he uh, showed us that today. But you know, we we kind of got to chase him down, and it's always fun to be following. So I don't know. I had a good time, but I was just saying it's a good thing I didn't try and go with him, or else I might still be out there. <laughs> that was probably a good good choice. Exactly. Then, but, but yeah. How it felt good. It felt good. My goal was to just uh, kind of be smart and uh, and chill in the beginning, and then maybe try and uh, push hard at the end. 
and I executed that pretty well, and uh, so I'm stoked, you know. It's, I think, uh, going to be a fun one for the whole team, so. Staying, staying with the rest of the stay, uh, group, the chasing group there for, uh, yeah. until the, ex the exchange, that's, that feels good. Exactly, you know, that's my goal, you know, and uh, it's not every day that the U.S. team can pull that off, so I'm happy, and uh, I'll go cheer for the, for the other lads, so, yeah. Thank you. Thanks. <laughs> Well, thanks, Ajay, for having that rec recorder going. Obviously, for those of you out there who are, like, missing this, Ajay, <clears throat> she obviously can't talk. She's a dog. But I gave her my phone. I said, anytime a reporter asks a, asks a question, like, hit record, send it to me. We can set us up live streaming here at Shovel Lake Public Radio. So she's got all the equipment there. Um, <clears throat> you heard there from Ben Ogden. I, I guess within the pack, he felt like, hey, man, dude, incredible that, that Holland just went. So some of those questions we maybe had – uh, were answered, and now I'm also hearing Ajay is sending me, pinging me here and saying that she has Gus Schumacher online as well. So um, Ajay hopping in again. Thank you so much, Ajay. You're a good dog. Extra dog treats for you when you get home. Let's take a let's take a here, uh, take a listen. Uh, Gus Schumacher here on the Cedar Skier podcast. It was, I mean, the guys in front of me were way in front, and they, and they even had a little. If there was, if Finland wasn't in the mix, I would have probably push straight past Switzerland yeah. but I knew that they had a carrot there yeah. so they were moving and the, the information I was getting was that I was looking good so uh, yeah. no one was like you have to get them yeah. uh, so I kind of knew I could like ski tactically actually which is really fun yeah uh, it's you don't not every day on the World Cup where you get to like settle in a little in a race and think about what you're gonna do and how you're gonna yeah. win and I I mean I ended up just having more more in the tank today than Cyril, the Swiss guy. Yeah. Was that Nad Hertz just going, yeah, 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 um, affirming Gus Schumacher, I suppose. So, Ajay, don't bite Nat Hertz, okay? Be nice to him. It's fine. And uh, one more here. It uh, looks like they're moving over into the mix zone, and this is Hunter Wonders and Scott Patterson. Let's hear their thoughts for you. It's so I'm just so thrilled. You know, getting a dog, it was the greatest choice ever, and being able to send her to Planitza was a lot cheaper than me flying there. We could just send her in the FedEx, a FedEx airplane. They actually have these discount rates. You could just, basically all I had to do was put her in a cardboard box, actually, and put, like, just a basic stamp, a postage stamp, and I just put in the address for the World Championships venue. And it's just, I mean, I think... Like when you think of cost effectiveness here in an economy with inflation and everything that's going on, it was just that was what we had to do. But okay, now I'm getting in my ear. Ajay is trying again to tell me that um, Hunter and Scott are leaving. No, yes, keep them there. Keep them there. Oh, okay, she has now. So we're gonna hear Hunter wonders Scott Patterson here after the four by ten. Uh, it's been awesome. It's been a little bit of a wild ride with weather, but I think we've had a great time. This event has been sweet. The fans are out in force, so it's been a cool, great championship. Yeah, it's really been a roller coaster. Like you said, the weather and the conditions have been different every day. And, uh, yeah, it's just been a blast. It's fun to have fans back in the, the bleachers. And is this quite different from Alaska in Slovenia? What's the similarities and what the differences? I mean, Central Europe is always different. We do have mountains in Alaska, too, but... There's some similarities, but I mean, the food, the culture, of course, is quite different than where we're from. Yeah, for sure. I, have a, I mean, we're from the same town, so everything he says is true. Um, yeah, it's, it's fun to ski in the valleys and mountains. We don't have venues like this. Um, and yeah, temperature, everything is different. Yeah. Excellent. Thank you very much. Yeah, thanks. Thank you. Have a good day. 
I'm trying to see. Ajay, can you at, get someone to ask them about the race? Ajay is right now talking in my ear live here, Shovel Lake Public Radio in Planitza. And okay, she's now now she's telling me that Gus has come over. Okay, we just heard from Gus. What are we going to get? Scott Hunter and Gus. Okay, Scott Hunter and Gus. Wrapping it up here. Out of the 4x10K. Thanks, Ajay. I appreciate it. Yeah, no. Yeah, I'm not mad at you. Okay, just get, get the mic up to them. Well, I heard from like one. Oh, we got like two. You, you want to tell me how it went out there? Oh, it was hard. Um, <laughs> yeah. It went out fast, and I, I thought I could hold on. Um, but, yeah, it was just uh, a hard pace. Evo really uh, went charging out there and strung it out. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, it wasn't wasn't my day, but I'm hoping for the 50k to go a little differently. Were your uh, were your skis competitive? Yeah, they were in the game. Um, they were maybe a little slick in the tracks. Yeah, they kind of they're like they're like they're like all versions. Yeah, hydrating and But yeah, as soon as my technical I started getting tired. But it is sort of like your feeling was sort of like. It was more your body today. Yeah. Um, were you on uh, Clister? For Zeros? Uh, uh, yeah, no, I was on Zeros. <laughs> yeah. I don't think it's a too much of a secret at this point, but I don't know. Uh, okay. Uh, it, it seemed like a, it seemed like a bit of a cluster, potentially, like yeah. with all the changing weather. The yeah, beginning. testing uh, up high on the course, it was snowing when I tested. Yeah. And I just figured... Uh, if it kept snowing or kept raining, that zeros would stay in the mix. Yeah, and it kind of changed. I mean, drastically from now, from then to now. Yeah. Um, so maybe in hindsight, cluster would have been safer, but you never know. Yeah. Um, cool. How about for you, Scott? I mean, tagged off from Hunter a little bit behind Sylvania, and kind of had dreams and aspirations of catching that group. I tried to charge the whole way and. Got by Slovenia pretty quick, and I mean, real Switzerland did pretty good to give Gus a little bit of a fight at least. But yeah, it was it was fine. I mean, obviously we would have liked to be up there fighting, but yeah, felt, felt solid. Speed 10k, day. ready yeah. for another one. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, you'll race 50. Yeah. You'll race 50. How'd it go for you? It was good. Yeah, Scott, like Scott said, he tied me off in a great spot for Switzerland. Yeah, I had good skis, so I was able to like in the first bit not push too hard but still close five seconds and then once i realized that i was gaining on him i kind of was able to relax and just like oh, sorry. Oh, no, you're it's good now i have an exclusive ajay <laughs> did you just uh, okay we lost the feed there um ajay might have just just bit nat hurts i think i don't i, I told you not okay i i lost i can't even not even communicate with ajay now did you guys hear it right at the beginning there too Obviously, Ajay going for the snacks. I mean, the mic got dropped down, and I heard someone. I don't know if that was Gus Schumacher or something sharing, like, a protein bar with our dog. My gosh, what is happening right now? So I guess that's what you get, though, for sending a canine over to Planitza. But that's our budget. If you want to support the Cedar Skier podcast, you can. You can make a monthly donation. I believe, actually, if you like the podcast, wherever you're listening to, there should be an option there you can click to become a supporter, and there's some different options. Right now, we have two supporters, and if we can get some more momentum rolling, like I'm kind of trying to dream up something sweet to give to like our first 10 uh, supporters. 
I don't know. So like, what if someday this podcast gets really big and then, you know, you can be like a founder or something like that. We can come up with some fancy name and we can have banquets, you know, we'll, we'll be like the C400, you know, of the Cedar Skier podcast. And, you know, you could, you can be that top, that, that, that special cherished, you know, group of 10 individuals that decide, decide to support this mission. Which, what is our mission? I don't even know. I'm tell, I'm being told now the Shovel Lake Public Radio is going to be cutting to the Minnesota Orchestra performance in 15 seconds. So I guess I'll, our mission, keep on striding, keep on striving, keep on skiing. Hey, we'll see you after the next races. World Cup tomorrow. We got classic mass starts. Check out my on my blog, cedarskier.com, because we have to get the David Doris uh, uh, story that's been up. Okay, see you later. Yeah.